Hey, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, in England, we're only allowed to meet with six people. But if you get married, you're allowed to have 15 people. And if you die, you're allowed to have 30. So, so one clever guy put on Facebook, to my family and friends, I need to announce to you that the family turkey has died. And on December the 25th, we're holding a funeral service at my home. I thought that was good. Okay, the title of my message tonight is Make a Choice for the Gospel's Sake. Make a choice for the Gospel's Sake. Here we go. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those who are without law. Now this gets complicated. As without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Amen. I love the way Paul attacks this particular issue when he's talking to the Corinthian church. He begins by saying, I'm free from all men. Now you have to understand that Paul was a very unique individual because he was born a Roman citizen. Now there were people in his day who bought their Roman citizenship, but to be Jewish and to be born a Roman gave you immense privilege. It meant that you were actually protected by Roman law. It meant you could travel anywhere in the empire free. It was a little bit like an EU passport back in the first century. Something I will not be having very soon. Need to claim my Italian heritage. Yep. You know, we, you, you know my mother's Italian. And so we did a DNA test on me. And found out I'm 26% Greek. Now, I don't know how that works. I really don't. I don't understand enough about biology and DNA and all of that stuff to know how that works. But I do know I love my big fat Greek wedding. But Paul, was he, he understood freedom. He understood it politically, he understood it socially, and he understood it religiously. He understood what it meant to be free to travel, free to do what he wanted to do, to have protection, to have rights. He understood that in Christ he was free, free from sin, free from legalism, free from an old way of thinking about God that made God distant and transcendent. When he suddenly discovered Jesus on the Damascus Road, he realized that this was the Son of God risen from the dead and he was real and he was alive and he had a plan for Paul's life. That was the kind of freedom he came into. Now, we in the West enjoy a great deal of freedoms. When you look around the world and different parts of the world, not everybody enjoys the freedom that we enjoy. I'm old enough to remember apartheid in South Africa. I'm old, old enough to remember the civil rights movement in the 1960s. I really am that old. <laughs> I just don't wear old clothes. In Paul's day, there were slaves everywhere. Caesar himself had over a quarter of a million slaves. 
You could go anywhere in the empire and you would find slaves. The church very often was made up in slaves. And on the whole, they treated them very well. So they had all kinds of slaves for all kinds of things. And, and, and when Paul says, I make myself a servant here, he's using this Greek word that is often the meaning of slave, doulos. He says, though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all. Can I just ask you a question? Who does that in their right mind? Who does that? It's like, if you're free, it's like saying, do you want to go to prison? Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to be a slave. I'd love to be accountable to somebody, telling me what to do, telling me where to go. It's like, really? Really? It's like, what's that all about? Think of the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. Now, uh, in my own context, so that I don't risk insulting anybody here tonight, which I usually do. I'm good at repenting. But in my context, it's like asking a Scotsman to become English. Can you, can you understand that? You may take our lives, but you'll not take our freedom. You know, remember that? Okay, you haven't seen Braveheart? It's a great movie. I'm doing a Mel Gibson here for you. When you're lying in your beds many years from now. <laughs> Would you trade all those days <laughs> from now till then for a chance, just one chance, to save your enemies? You may take our lives, but you'll not take our freedom! <laughs> freedom is a great thing. And when you're a Christian... You understand freedom because freedom is about forgiveness from sins. Freedom is about taking away shame so you can hold your head up high. Freedom is about not worrying about your past ever catching up with you because God has dealt with the past through Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a tremendous thing to have freedom. Free in your conscience. Freedom in your spirit, so that you have peace in your heart, no longer weighed down with guilt and burdened with the things that you've done wrong in life, but knowing that God loves you and he's forgiving you and he's got a plan and a future for you. That's a great thing. But Paul says, I made myself a servant, a slave, that I might win the more. That I might win the more. You see, that's just like Jesus. See, Jesus accepted becoming human. You know, in John chapter 1, it says this about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So John starts his gospel by declaring, hey, guess what? Jesus is the creator. He's the eternal Word, face to face with God. That's what... That's what the Greek uh, is, is expressing there. And yet, this Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, who didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, became a human. And when he became a human, he accepted limitation. He, 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 wasn't, he couldn't be everywhere like he is as God, omnipresent. He, he didn't know everything. He had to learn things as a human being. Jesus accepted that limitation. And then he went one step further. He said, I won't just become human. I'm going to become a servant. 
And so he stepped from being human to being a servant. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been born as a king because he is a king. But he said, no, I'm going I'm to come as a servant. And then he, he went a step further and he said, you know what? I won't even decide when I'm going to die. I'll put that in the hands of my father and how I'm going to die. I'll put that in the hands of my father God because I know he loves me and he has a plan for me. Jesus took steps to accept limitations. Why? So that he could reach you and me. You know, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, you've got to become a servant. It's amazing to me that James and John were with Jesus for three years. And right at the end, just as Jesus, you know, is about to go to the cross, they say, oh, by the way, Lord, can we sit at your right hand and your left when you come in your kingdom? Well, actually, they didn't do it. They, they got their mum to do it. <laughs> I mean, how sad is that, really? It's truthfully, two grown men, get your mum to ask Jesus, because it's harder to say no to a woman. Well, it's harder to say no to a mother. I don't know about you, but my Italian mother, try saying no to her. I tell you, you naughty boy. (laughs) Jesus accepted limitations. Why Why a servant? Because a servant's never a threat. That's the thing. A servant removes every power inequality. See, you've got government and people. That's a power inequality. You've got teachers and students. That's a power inequality. You've got doctors and you've got patients. That's a power inequality. You've got generals and you've got soldiers. That's a power inequality. And Jesus said, I'm going to come into the world and I'm going to remove every single power inequality so that nobody sees me as a threat because I'm there to serve people, to save people, to redeem people, to heal people. That's our Jesus. And Paul says, you know what? I want to live my life in the same way Jesus did. I've made myself a servant to all. Now listen to this really carefully, because this is powerful. If we're going to be a dynamic and effective church, now listen, you're already a great church. I want, you, I want to make you even better. Is that okay? You know, when someone's already good, why not make them better? So, so here's the thing. When Paul says he made a shift, why did he do that? Because most times Christians have the attitudes, we're saved, they're lost, they need to get saved. They need to come over here. But here's the model of Jesus. Here's what Paul is really saying. Before they make a shift, I'm going to make a shift. And as I make a shift, they make a shift. I enter their world, I enter their context, I enter their way of thinking. I'm different, but I understand if I enter their world, there's the chance they'll enter mine. Do you get it? Five times, five times Paul says that I might win some, that I might win them. Five times. So let me give you some things. The real goal is to win people and get them saved. To win them. You have to win their respect. You have to win their trust. And then you have to win their ear. So that you can speak to them. You'll never win a person's ear till you win their respect. So be good at something, will you? Just be good at something. I always, it doesn't matter how bad a person is. In terms of their character. If they're good at what they do, you respect them. Now if they add good character to being good at what they do, you begin to trust them. But you have to respect them for something. And then when you begin to trust them, then you begin to open your heart to them and they will listen to you. Here's the second thing. 
Well, let, maybe I should just tell you this. In the early church, three significant people got saved. The Ethiopian eunuch, Saul of Tarsus, and Cornelius. I've pondered for years why Luke went to the trouble of telling us about these three salvations. And then one day I'm reading Genesis chapter 10 and I realized that the Ethiopian eunuch is a descendant of Ham and that Paul is a descendant of Shem and that Cornelius is a descendant of Japheth. And so what Luke is really telling us is the gospel is for every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Luke is trying to say it's universal. It's, hey, listen, if one claps, we all clap. That includes the overflow. Isn't that a great thought? A universal gospel. It's everybody. It's a whomsoever will. I love that. Here's the second point I want to make. Personal freedom is never as effective as personal responsibility. Personal freedom is never as effective as personal responsibility. You see, some people want to declare their freedom. Oh, this is, how, this is how I like to do church. You know, I just like to go when I feel inspired. You know, just the wind blows where it wants to. They quote John chapter 3. It's like they have their way of living. Great, that's your freedom, that's your right. Cool, bless you. But when you start to take personal responsibility for something, you know, you begin to care. And you begin to take responsibility for what you love. It's the mother who gets up at three in the morning to change the nappy of her child when she's tired and exhausted and just wants to sleep. But that baby's crying and has a need. So she takes responsibility to serve a purpose greater than herself. That's what it means to be a servant. That's what it means to be personally responsible. It's like the husband whose boss wants him to work late, but he says, I promised my eight-year-old son I'm going to get to his school play and I'm going to watch him in there. And so I'm sorry on this occasion. I can't do it. And it costs him something because he takes personal responsibility and he makes a sacrifice. You see, there's people who don't know Jesus, but they don't know that they don't know him because they don't know that it's important. And... You and I, we're people who know Jesus, but it's not enough to know him. It's not enough to know the freedom that Jesus Christ brings into your life. We've got to go one step further, and we've got to make ourselves something that can serve into someone's context to win them, to win them. Here's the last thing I want to say to you tonight. We can't achieve the goal if we don't embrace the process. You can't achieve the goal if you don't embrace the process. Paul says, I've become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. I love the, I love the fact that it's three alls. I've become all things to all men that by all means. And for years I was disappointed with the last step, that I might save some. I used to think, ah, only some. And then I realized it's Paul speaking about himself. And what Paul is really saying is, look, when it comes to my life, I realize God has shaped me in a way where I, if I make the effort, if I become the servant, I can save some. But guess what? 
Thomas can save some. Kat can save some. Jackie can save some. Melina can save some. If we all start to save some, that's a whole lot of people coming in the kingdom. So my challenge to us tonight as churches, are you prepared to make a choice for the sake of the gospel? Paul says, I, I don't do this for my own sake. I do it for the gospel's sake. I do it for the gospel's sake. And you know, sometimes it requires sacrifice. Sometimes it requires doing the uncomfortable and the inconvenient. You know, when the apostle Paul, he, he, there was one time where he was in Philippi and he, he he went and cast a demon out of a girl and it caused an uproar. And the magistrates came along. And if you read it in Acts chapter 16, they, they stripped him of his clothes. And they beat him with rods and threw him into a prison. And he was in chains. And at midnight, there he is with Silas, his friend. And you know what they started to do? They started to sing praises to God. You know, I, I, I imagine it could have been a bit like Laurel and Hardy. You know, that's another fine mess you've gotten me into. But they, they didn't do that. They didn't blame each other for the circumstances. They looked to God and began to praise him. And there was a great earthquake and their chains fell off. And the Philippine, Philippine jailer got saved and the whole house got saved. And then the magistrates came and they said, we want you to get out of town. And that's when Paul played his trump card. And he said, I just want to tell you something. I'm a Roman citizen. And they went, oh, no. Because if you beat a Roman citizen without a trial, you could be killed. And so Paul said, go tell the magistrate, I'm not leaving town till they come and say sorry. <laughs> it was really exceptional because most times he was driven out of town or stoned and left for dead. And he goes, I'm not going anywhere till you say sorry. And sometimes he asserted his rights against the enemy, against people who are trying to use their rights. But when it came to seeing people one for Christ... He shifted. He took a step. He moved in a different direction. We can't achieve the goal unless we embrace the process. You know, Jesus said this, if anyone desires to come after me, Luke 9, 23, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You know what the cross does? It's all about crucifying selfishness. You see, most of us don't realize how selfish we are until there's a demand placed on us. And then when there's a demand placed on you, you realize it. How many of you know one of the toughest things to do is just to raise kids and teach them responsibility? You know, just trying to teach a kid to brush their teeth. Have you brushed your teeth? Yes. Let me smell your breath. Oh, my God, go and brush your teeth. I did brush my teeth. Well, I'm going to help you this time. You know, what did you do? Pass it over? <laughs> how, many, how many of you know it's really hard to raise responsible kids so that they actually take it in as part of themselves? And guess what? That, that's a comment on humanity, not just my kids or your kids. All of us are like that, and we grow up with selfish attitudes, and we don't realize our own selfishness till a demand is placed on us to do something sacrificial. And, and then when that happens, you get a choice. You can either stay, no, no, I like, I like the way I am right now. Thank you very much. Or you can say, oh, wow, there's a bigger purpose here. And I want to be involved in it. Let me tell you something prophetically for you as a church. This is really for you, Thomas. I just feel like God's reserved a building for you. 
And right now, there's people investing in the building that will be your future. They don't realize it. They have a plan for that building, but God's got another plan. You're going to walk into a place that's going to be really, really ready for what you have in your future. I just, I'm just declaring it over your life. I'm declaring it over the church here. I just see it in my spirit. I see it. I, that should excite you. Come on. I'm telling you, this church is moving something here in this nation. And I want to encourage you, keep making the shift. And listen, you don't have to make big shifts, but just make a little shift. Just make a little shift, a little bit of effort to be a servant to somebody else in order to help them to be one to Jesus. If you continue to be selfish, you're denying the power of the cross in your life that sets you free from selfishness. It, 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 it enables you to be more and more like Jesus. See, sometimes I talk to Christians and they talk about being more like Jesus, like it's, like it's this strange transaction that happens without any cost. You know, it's like, yeah, here I am in worship, Lord. Yeah, here I am. Got my arms raised. I can feel it coming. Oh, I'm just becoming more like Jesus right in this moment. Just look at that smile on my face. Look at how happy I am. Yeah, I'm more like Jesus. You know, and then suddenly you're, you're in a situation where somebody says, hey, can you help me out? I need to lift my car broke down. Oh, that's a bit inconvenient. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's easy to be like Jesus when you're not around people. Have you noticed that? I'm the most spiritual man on the planet when I'm on my own. But put me around people and boy, a demand is placed on me. And then a change takes place. You know, I think some of us are like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, you know what I mean? It's like two natures. <laughs> Make a choice. Not for my sake. Not for the sake of Hillsong. Not for the sake of your pastor. But for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that is the only way we're going to truly win people. And it isn't enough that I'm doing it. We need to all do it. And God has uniquely situated you and placed you where if you make a shift, you are going to influence somebody and win them into the kingdom of God. Does that sound exciting? Yeah.